0: As the spring of 2021 turned into summer, people in New Hampshire began to feel a sense of relief as more and more residents became vaccinated and old activities, such as hitting up a conversation at the local country store, resumed. There was a sense of thankfulness that we came together and got through a global pandemic, at least here in the Granite State. There was a sense of renewed faith as we learned more about how other families made it through the 15 months of darkness successfully. And I had a certain sense of hope that maybe, just maybe, this will have affected each of us enough that we will be able to fix the systems that are broken. My name is Kimberly Haas. Join me as we dig deeper into these issues and more during our fourth podcast in this Wellness Connections series produced by the Community Alliance for Teen Safety in Derry. As an American, I am deeply grateful for the men and women who serve our country every day. But as we prepared this series of podcasts, we realized we needed to highlight the effects the pandemic has had on our National Guardsmen here in New Hampshire. I sat down with Staff Sergeant Rick Frost of the National Guards Counter Drug Task Force on March 19th. He has worked with the Community Alliance for Teen Safety for 10 years. Let's talk a little bit about the National Guard. I know that here in New Hampshire, that's you know what everybody thinks of when they think of military families, and the National Guard is unique in in so many ways. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about some of the challenges that National Guard families face, even during quote unquote normal circumstances.
1: That's
2: right. Yeah. So pre COVID, you know, to be in a National Guard family. Uh, that was interesting enough post COVID a whole nother world, but (laughs) pre COVID, you know, being a national guard family means that, you know, well, we're, we're citizen soldiers, you know, by definition we we serve the States that we work in, um, but we also serve a federal, um, uh, uh, you know, master in that if we're called up for duty to, you know, deploy uh, during a wartime situation, you know, that's we're expected to do the same thing as any other active duty component. Um, but being in the National Guard is a little bit different because we don't have a lot of the same installations that an active duty um, component would have. So if you've ever seen an active duty installation, it's got everything to self-sustain, you know, a basic uh, a grocery store, a movie theaters, bowling alleys, restaurants. They all exist within the confines of that base. Uh, when you're in the National Guard, it's a lot different because we're not necessarily a full-time force, all of us, even though many of us are full-time, but the predominant use is we're we're not a full-time force. So we don't have access to those same facilities. So we are subject to the communities that we live in to provide the services that we need. And uh, sometimes those services are unique to military members. So some of us try to put in some work to make sure that we're we're represented at the community level because uh, like I said, our, our our needs can be unique. Mm. So, you know, our, our, what we call operational tempo, you know, that's how much time we spend training, how much time we spend deploying. Um, our op tempo has historically in the last 25 years or so, I'd say it's rivaled many of the active duty installations or active duty components. We deploy a lot, a lot more than we have in the past. So uh, but the environment hasn't necessarily changed. So that's probably the biggest challenge. You know, we have to go from civilian life to military life, back to civilian life, you know, as on an as-needed basis, that sort of a thing. So that can pose a challenge for me. It's been the greatest adventure ever. I love it. It's, it just suits me. well. <laughs> I enjoy it because I like mixing things up a little bit like that. Um, quite frankly, my national guard time has made me feel like I'm better able to operate in the civilian context, uh, way more so than I ever, think I ever could. So the training that I've gotten in the guard, I think has, has been you know, helpful in my civilian jobs in the past. Um, it's made me a little bit more resilient just as a, as a person in general, you know, as a father and, uh, you know, as a husband. So yeah.
0: Now how have some of these challenges changed during the pandemic for our national guard members and their families
2: yeah so you know post covid you know the orders came down um a lot of the the national guards in 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 every state were were utilized to provide you know a resource um uh, to provide resources to the states in order to uh you know uh, respond to that to that crisis um For us, you know, and and again, my work didn't necessarily change too much. The dynamics of the people that I work with did change, but my work continued. Um, So, but for a lot of my colleagues and a lot of the other folks that I work with, you know, they had civilian jobs and were immediately um, put on orders to to help respond to, uh, you know, the COVID crisis. Um, Most did so, you know, you know they were excited to do it. It was it was a new adventure, and again, I think a lot of the civilian um, employers out there were probably happy to provide that support as well. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting dynamic. We've been you know going full tilt since since day one here. Um, so it's 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 been interesting. Um, the needs of the family members, I think more so now, we rival those active duty, you know, uh, components. Best thing about it is we haven't, I personally have not had to leave my family or anything like that, but I know a lot of guardsmen have had to separate from their families, even going from working from one part of the state to another. So there's been a lot of additional challenges that have been, you know, thrown as a childcare, I think is probably the biggest crisis. I'm extremely fortunate I have... <laughs> I never thought I would say this. I'm extremely fortunate to have five teenagers in my house. That's, that's a new one. (laughs) Uh, but during COVID time, I, that is a fortunate thing because we didn't have to, you know, identify any kind of daycare needs or anything like that. So, um, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal for a lot of families and I don't envy those that have to, you know, resolve that problem at their own level. So, um, you know that's definitely one of the unique challenges that have popped up for the, for the guard members uh in the state um you know changes and fluctuations in income levels obviously have an impact as well but yeah that childcare one that was that was a big one having kids out of school uh you know having to homeschool also having to perform a duty for the state not an easy feat
0: No, and we certainly respect you and are so appreciative of all of the National Guard members that have really stepped up during this time and put country first. Um, It's been really heartwarming to see everybody really stepping up to the plate um, during this time when you are so critical to our mission. Tell me, how has this affected youth within the National Guard community? And maybe you could even provide some examples from your own family.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've just recently started providing some programming specific for military youth through my line of work, you know, working at uh, community levels. I have a coalition that just so happens to serve military youth. Um, So I I do have some perspective in that regard. Um, Yeah, it's been interesting i've seen a lot of changes and it's i have to be honest with you i I think even the best behavioral health provider might struggle with identifying exactly what's going on out there certainly what the long-term implications of this type of 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 crisis can you know create um in my little world of five teenagers it's been i like to think i've got a little focus group at my house and i frequently use them and cite them in, in my work um it's, it's not a reach to say that it's a 50 50 thing. Uh, some of the kids are like, I need to get back in school. I want to see, you know, uh, I, I want to see other people. I, I, I thrive in that environment. And others are saying, uh, I love this. This is fantastic. And their grades have gone through the roof. You know, they're doing really well. They're excelling. It's hard to know if one is because the other is more resilient or if just the learning environment is more conducive to the individuals. Mm -hmm. I think it does speak a lot to the fact that people learn in different ways. And if anything to, for me, this has kind of proven that people learn in different ways. So we've kind of taken that. Um, I will say that the Guard has offered us some great services and that we even have online access to online tutoring services that we can use for, for for our kids. Um, and the military helped has helped, um, offset the, uh, the cost for that. So that's been a huge blessing. Um, but yeah, some of my kids, their, their grades are, you know, they're getting straight A's and the others are, you know, struggling. They need somebody to be sitting right there with them. So, um, but it almost kind of flip flopped because when they were in school, it was kind of the opposite situation. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I think
0: that's a very interesting topic for debate because we've really come to realize how important the school structure is within our entire community, even Mm -hmm. if you don't have children. Right. Mm -hmm. And we are learning a lot about how some of these new innovative ways of connecting are really, you know, very powerful for some youth and offer them an alternative to that traditional school model where maybe they get distracted because they're very social or maybe they just have problems focusing in that kind of setting um due to you know maybe anxiety or something else and and now they're they're doing very well and then we see the reverse too like you just mentioned where some students who are doing very, very well in that kind of structured school environment are having a very difficult time with um, the hybrid learning. And prior to that, all of the remote learning that students were doing. So it'll be interesting to see how we make educational changes moving forward. Do you
2: agree? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, If anything, it can help feed to the research. You know, so we can make better conclusions in the end. Um, I'm, I'm by no means a professional educator. I'm a professional parent. Well, I shouldn't even say I'm a professional parent. Some might argue. Another <laughs> <way>. <laughs> professional in that I've done it a lot.
1: Yes. Right. It,
2: um, but uh, yeah, um, people smarter than I will will make those decisions. But yeah, we can certainly feed to the research that yeah, there's there's a lot to consider. Um If anything, I'd like to think the kids are learning to be a little bit more um, a little bit more resilient. Certainly better problem solvers, which I think is, is a unique way to attack uh issues shouldn't say attack but you know what i mean
0: (laughs) well Uh, i mean you do you're gonna they're they're at a crucial age where they do need to learn how to navigate some of these waters on their own and i I give them a lot of credit for even attempting i'm not sure that i would have if i was um in their shoes As we began planning this podcast series, we also wondered if crime had gone up in the youth population. I was thankful to find out crime did not spike in Derry from Captain Vern Thomas of the Police Department. I spoke with him on April 5th. Welcome to the podcast, Vern. How are you today? Good, thank you. So tell us what are you what are you seeing in Derry when it comes to uh, youth and uh, potentially crime in your community?
3: Well, since the start of the pandemic, things have changed in terms of, of overall crime involving youth. What we're finding is that uh, youth are staying home; they're being remote uh, taught by their uh, their parents or family members. So I'm thinking that. The reduction in crime that we see is probably related to the fact that the, the youth are being more supervised than they had been previously. Um, you know, unfortunately, parents have to stay home from work perhaps and try to teach their children at home, but they're they're getting to spend more time with them.
0: So you think that that is helpful as far as making sure that children don't get into
3: trouble? Uh, I do. You know, I think that. First off, it's always good to, to see uh, parents getting to spend as much time as they can with their, their kids as they're growing up teaching the right lessons, but they're getting more supervision, I think. Um, you know, the family unit's getting, getting much tighter. I think that's all positive.
0: All right. So are you seeing any increases in certain areas which would indicate that uh, preteens and teens are lashing out? Are you actually seeing that the reverse is true?
3: In terms of, of general uh, crime, uh, underage, uh, you know, whether it's graffiti or, or uh, other things, that seems to have reduced. But what we are seeing a little bit now is is a more runaway type of things. Not runaway and disappear, but runaway for the evening or something like that. Um, where I think people are just, they, that's Quality of life that they get now, being home and being supervised, kids kind of want to branch out a little bit too and get you know see their friends, get out of the house a little bit. So we're seeing some of that now.
4: So
0: these are maybe teens that are they're in a fine environment at home. They're well taken care of. They just you know they want to break free for a little while, as opposed to running away.
3: Absolutely. You know, we we title it run away or missing person, but in reality they're they're people that. There are youth that have left the house for a few hours without parental permission, perhaps.
0: All right. All right. That's good to know, because the last thing I'd like to think of is of young people running away from home during a pandemic where there's so many uncertainties, even in a quote-unquote normal time for someone of that demographic, but especially enhanced during the course of a pandemic.
3: Sure. Yeah, and and we we aren't seeing a problem with that necessarily. Okay. Uh, but you know, I, I really think that after spending as much time as as uh, everybody does now in the house, everybody's looking for a chance to get outside. So, um, and, and we see a lot of that too.
0: All right. Now, in the town of Derry, you mentioned a lot of students being uh, taught remotely. Are the students back in school at least a couple days a week?
3: Yeah, so all levels are are back now. Um, It was kind of sparse in the beginning and um, the younger grades tended to go back sooner. The high school has been doing what they call cohort learning where they spend a couple of days per week in school and a couple of days learning at home. um, And that's starting to, change now too where they're spending more time, but each time we have a, what appears to be a, a rise in cases of, of COVID locally, they've had to modify their schedule a bit to try to, to be as safe as they can.
0: All right. Now, what programs are available in the dairy community to families where maybe their kids aren't doing so well? It sounds like for the most part, Everybody in the dairy community is is getting along just fine through the course of the pandemic, especially from your perspective in law enforcement. But what about some families where they're afraid maybe their child is involved underage drinking or perhaps nicotine use or even committing petty crimes such as graffiti?
3: Well, the programs that, that seem to be available now are pretty much... Uh... They're remote as well. We've always had the upper room in, in Derry that does a great job working with youth. And the Community Alliance for Teen Safety does a fantastic job as well. But the actual programs with, where uh, youth can, can come out of, out of the home perhaps, there are less of those things. What is happening, though, is some of the uh, sports programs are starting to come back around the outdoor things, baseball and that, those kinds of things. Are, and I think those are going to be helpful, getting a little more normalcy for, the, for youth.
0: Do you find a correlation between having a robust uh, opportunity for, for students to participate in maybe extracurricular activities and a decrease in crime?
1: Um,
3: there, there tends to be groups, I think, that would participate in sports and, and after-school activities. And there's a, another group of, of, of youth that wouldn't participate anyway. And you know, we're not really seeing a difference in that right yet. I think that we will as, as, uh, as we go forward, more people get vaccinated and more youth are coming out again. So it's kind of hard to draw that, that comparison.
1: All
0: right, well, thank you, Captain Thomas, as always. I know you're super busy today, so I'm gonna get off the line with you, but we really appreciate your time as always.
3: Anytime, thank you.
0: New Hampshire people are sometimes known as being strong as granite, but this pandemic tested my faith that we can make it. And 2020 and 2021 seemed to take so many twists and turns. I wondered how preteens and teens of faith were being guided through the pandemic. So I spoke with Cindy Coughlin, who is a youth minister on April 23rd. Hi, Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, tell me, first of all, a little bit about yourself and and what you do there in Merrimack.
1: Absolutely, so um, I'm a youth minister at Our Lady of Mercy Parish in Merrimack. Um, and I actually minister to the middle school kids as well as the high school kids. So we're talking sixth grade all the way up to 12th grade. And of course, we also keep in touch with our students who have transitioned out of high school and have gone on their own ways. And so we hold a youth group. We also do opportunities for service for the kids. Um, things have changed a little bit because of the pandemic, but that's kind of what we do.
0: Okay. So tell us a little bit about how things have changed changed because of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Oh, so things have changed a lot. <laughs> things have changed a lot. Uh, as we all know, right, we haven't really been able to meet in person with the kids for quite some time. Uh, masses, you know, barely we're starting to get back to doing in person. Everything has just been online, so we used to meet in person with our kids on Sunday nights and we would alternate with middle school and high school. But what ended up happening now is that we transitioned to more of a Zoom group where we meet online with the kids and just catch up with each other about what's been happening in life, what's been happening with school. And then we'll also choose a series here and there to focus on, sometimes we focus on big topics, such as, you know, what does it mean to be me? What does it mean to to be a person in the light of, of God's eyes? Or, you know, we might focus on more church teaching or more social, emotional things. So it's kind of across the board. We kind of try to meet the kids where they're at.
0: What have you seen during the course of the year as far as um, enthusiasm and participation in faith when it comes to your youth members?
1: So that's a great question. Um, it's, It's not a surprise to say. That we've seen the kids lose enthusiasm we've seen them lose energy and motivation across the board um, they haven't they've been struggling with first of all just a bit one of the biggest changes in their lives that all of us are going through collectively but in their own teen lives their own young lives right they know they have high school that might be a big transition or middle school that might be a big transition but nobody told them that they'd be going through a pandemic right Through not seeing their friends not seeing um not seeing their coaches or doing any of their extracurriculars and they're kind of just, I think, struggling through adapting to this time. And I think a lot of them are just struggling from loneliness and isolation as well. Um, I'm also a clinical mental health counselor and I work with Catholic charities and I see teens in a therapy s- setting as well. And I'm seeing that in both my ministries, whether it be with, as a therapist or as a, as a minister, youth minister, it's all the same. The teens are all just struggling to kind of make it through this time. Hmm.
0: That's interesting because some some teens act like everything is all right. You know what I mean? And I wonder mm-hmm. if it's just, you know, they're saying that to make the adults feel better or um, if they really are feeling all right, but people are noticing maybe their behaviors have changed.
1: Mm-hmm. That's Yeah, I think you're right. I think teens, um, as much as they go through a rebellious stage, they don't change in who they are. And they do carry a lot of the emotional burden of their family members, their parents and their friends. So, yeah, I think we do hear them saying I'm fine or it's all right or, you know, I don't mind. I like staying at home anyways, you know. But I think the reality is when we dig a little deeper, we kind of see that they are they are carrying a lot of burden of uncertainty just uncertainty in general. I think they're all kind of uncertain at this age. It's a, a very important part of their life to just be exploring their identity, exploring who they are in the context of a relationship in a context of school. And the fact that that's kind of missing right now, I think is kind of just making them feel like, where, where do I go from here? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we hear them say, you know, it's fine, but sometimes the behaviors show otherwise, right? Sometimes they don't they start having a hard time getting up or they're not doing the hobbies that they love or they're not communicating as much. So we might hear them say I'm fine, but their life and their behavior say otherwise.
0: Okay. How has faith helped when it comes to this demographic? I'm sure that having a sense of faith at that, everything will be all right. And that there's somebody watching over them is helpful for some teens
1: mm-hmm Faith has been a big I think a big support for some of these teens especially the ones that find that community and fellowship and at their church and especially with our group we have a, a um, with my core team who are just wonderful wonderful people um, who are always present and attentive to the teens who are always excited to hear what's going on with them so I think one of the aspects that faith brings us is community and fellowship. And I think the teens find that with the teen, adult volunteers that we have, but they also find it with each other, right? So if we're meeting or if we happen to maybe do something outside, they know that they can see uh, so-and-so that they've known for a few years and that they can just spend time together. And then the other side that I think is just wonderful is we have the sacraments. So maybe they can go to mass online. Um, perhaps they can talk to our pastor as well. Um, and we can also just talk about how The faith, you know, is as you've said, is is knowing that everything is going to be okay. that there's ultimately something bigger than us, basically giving us the the calm and comfort that we need. We can also kind of um, we just went through the season of Lent. I think we talked a lot about the the kids noticing that, you know, when we look at our faith and our relationship with with Christ, that Christ suffered isolation. Christ suffered difficulties in life. You know, Christ suffered so much of what we are suffering throughout this time. So I think it offered them some, I know that it offered them a sense of like uniting their suffering and giving their suffering a bigger meaning, that there's more to this than just suffering all the time. You know, there's an Easter, so to speak. You know, there's a resurrection. At the beginning of this podcast, I said
0: I began to have hope as spring turned into summer that we would be able to finally fix the systems which we know are broken. One thing we have each realized during the COVID-19 pandemic is we all have mental health and we all react to things differently. The stress and the uncertainty and then the death tolls drove me to tears as a journalist. As I record this on June 20th, 2021, officials at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention were reporting close to 600,000 Americans lost to this deadly virus. But also as a journalist, I had the privilege of asking questions and I began to call into the weekly press briefings held by Governor Chris Sununu. In our second podcast, we talked with now immediate past president Patrick Ho about mental health for preteens and teens. So when the governor announced during his press briefing on June 3rd that the state would invest $100 million into mental health, I knew I had to ask him about how it will affect youth.
3: Governor, up next is Kimberly Haas with Seacoast Current. Kimberly, please go ahead with your question.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. Governor, the big big topic coming out today when it comes to spending is investing in mental health here in New Hampshire. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I heard you said that we could spend up to $100 million on mental health moving forward and I think
1: after the year that we've all had all of our readers and listeners can
0: relate Uh, we've all seen our own mental health uh, go different directions through all of this my question is what specifically will be done for preteens and teenagers I think we're not even sure yet what
4: the long-term effects of the pandemic will be for that group of people? Uh, Great, great question. Um, I I appreciate you. you, I I really do appreciate you asking that. Uh, When it comes to the mental health crisis, and I'm going to I'm going to speak a little bit as a dad here as someone with two teenagers and a third grader myself and just seeing what everyone had to go through in this state especially kids um there's no doubt that it affected kids the most um there's there's just no doubt those are very formative years uh as adults we had a hard time wrapping our heads around and comprehending the health the safety the anxiety of what was happening over 2020 and to ask a child to to be able to comprehend that at the level that that an adult can that was asking a heck of a lot and then trying to explain to them why they can't go to school so what are we doing about it first off one of the first things we did is make sure kids got back to school That's why we pushed so hard to make sure schools could stay open and every school had the option to stay open in the state. We did a very good job with that, making sure that all schools got open and didn't just let the year run out. Because having eyes, having teachers in the classroom, uh, having peer to peer support in a lot of those schools uh, and those programs is so vital to not just getting kids back on track, but helping identify where those, if you will, where the cracks are. Just academically. I mean, a lot of kids suffered academically, but with these issues of mental health. And that's why making sure all the schools opened up back in April was a big push of ours. Um, and, and it was the, definitely the right thing to do. And it's already yielding some, some great results. We don't want to wait till September, five months from now or, or from, you know, from April and say, well, now we're going to assess the kids. Now we'll figure out where we are. Right, we want to hit the ground running in September, and so by uh, allowing and, and pushing it to make sure that schools opened up the right way, getting eyes on the kids, that has been absolutely vital uh, in terms of uh, I think getting an, a proper assessment of where we are. That way, we can provide. And, and Commissioner A. W. Out of the Department of Education is providing a lot of supports, not to just to school systems for academics. We don't necessarily want to tell kids, well, if you're behind a little bit, you should just go to summer school. Well, that's like <laughs> that's just penalizing kids even more. Uh, we, we took away your school year, and now we're going to take away your summer. Commissioner Edelblut has a very different approach that I appreciate. He's investing in, in summer camps and programs with kind of an all-encompassing attitude, with, the, with peer-to-peer support, with fun activities, uh, really making it something uh, constructive and enriching uh, for those kids that, that need the extra support. So um, I just really appreciate it. I know some some states are going the we'll we'll just create lots of summer school for kids, but um, I think appreciating the whole health of the child um, and creating those programs in in a very enriching way is is really positive. He's using some of what we call our gear money, some of our ESSER money uh, to do do those types of programs. Um, We're putting more money into special education. We're making sure that we have not just emergency beds, mental health beds for kids, uh, but they're done in the right way, in the right setting by bringing in private providers that specialize in children. And how you deal with mental health issues or anxiety and crisis issues with a child is so very different uh, than with an adult. And you have to have that right expertise. Um, obviously, you know I've been pushing very hard to expand the number of nurses in the state, but that has the uh, ancillary effect of hopefully getting more folks excited and expanded into psychiatry or, or psychiatric psych, uh, psychology type programs. Again, so we have the workforce. We can invest all the dollars in the world and build and buy hospitals and do all this amazing stuff. But if you don't have the workforce there to support it, uh, it's only a half measure. So, really focusing on workforce. The, the other big piece there is the student debt assistance, which I'm really hoping that the, will come in through the budget. Don't know yet, but that allows folks, to, allows us to incentivize students to stay uh, and work here in New Hampshire, especially around. Um, uh, areas of, of mental health or, or the medical profession whatever it might be so there's a lot I'm, I'm throwing a lot out there and I'm just doing the, just this piece off the top of my head but I think schools are really integral in, in being part of that solution I think good community programming uh, and peer peer to peer type programming over the summer is very important um, and then just making sure that in those moments of crisis those emergency response teams we're putting more on the on the road that's wonderful Uh, better rates for the community health uh, services, breaking down the regulatory barriers with hospitals. So um, again, they, they're not just maintaining and maybe sending an individual home, but they're actually providing some of these mental health services uh, until um, you know if more inpatient uh, long-term treatment is is determined. Um, getting everybody on board and saying we're all going to be part of that solution. Um, it does nothing but but help the system as a whole. But obviously, especially kids, I I think the anxieties you see with with kids and some of the mental health issues with kids are going to be there well into. Uh, this fall. But all the new transitional beds we're creating, all the new hospitals that are coming online with their beds, that creates more capacity in the right areas and in the right way for these kids to get the services. And I keep going back, and and I really mean this sincerely, it's about that mom. It's about that dad that sees their kid in crisis and says, I know what to do. I've never dealt with this before, but I know there's a system there that can provide those supports for my kid. At the end of the day, I've, I've said it very clearly to all the stakeholders, that's there's lots of metrics to look at. There's lots of goals. But let's make that our top priority. And if we can achieve that goal to give families confidence that the system will be there for them, all the other stuff can really flow from that. And, and so that's that's it. I mean, I, I try to in some ways make it very simple, right? Give your, give the very clearly defined goal that we can understand, that we can appreciate. And if you can achieve that, there's on, along the way, a lot of other really good things are going to come from it.
0: Sununu announced during his June 10th, 2021 press briefing that the state of emergency New Hampshire had been in since March of 2020 would come to an end the following day. As I record this, it is the first day of summer and it is Father's Day. I want to thank all of the parents out there who have taken care of their children during the past 15 months. And I want to thank you for listening to these podcasts in the Community Alliance for Teen Safety's Wellness Connection series. This will be my last podcast as a host of the series, but my hope is that this work will continue as we march forward as a community a state, and as a country. If you would like to participate in upcoming episodes, please reach out. Contact information can be found at catsandh.org. Once again, my name is Kimberly Hawes. Have a great day.